Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a New England Patriot legend. He's a six-time Super Bowl champ, and this year he'll be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Dante Skarnecchia. Dante, thanks for coming on the program. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, congratulations on, on the Hall of Fame. That's that's a pretty cool deal. And uh, I saw it was just announced on my birthday, April 6th. So uh, congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Happy birthday to you. And, and full disclosure, okay, I was Got it. part of five Super Bowl teams. I did not. I was retired the first oh, time for the- we played Seattle. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, that was in that. Yeah. Cause I was looking, there was a gap in between like 13 and 16 when you came back or 14 and 16. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I yeah. Was okay. Um, we always hear this and, and I hear it on the baseball side of the arena too. Uh, player retires. Should he go right into coaching? Now I have family members. My dad went into managing, my brother's currently managing. I took took a little bit of a different route. As a player, when I retired, I was kind of burnt out. I had the attitude at 37 years old, oh, I don't want to be around this anymore. I'm going to go off into the sunset. Now, fast forward years later, uh, I question a lot of things I did when I was younger. Um, but my, my thing is, what is the advice that Dante has for – Aging players, guys at the end of their career, if they come to you and say, Dante, what do you think about coaching? What's your advice? I think that if, if, if that's your passion and that's your desire, then you should follow it. But I also think this, there's a hell of a lot of difference between being a player and being a coach. The hours are off the charts hard. I don't know what they're like in baseball, Brett, to be honest with you. But in football, you know, it, the reality of it is, is for – the entire length of the season, um, you leave before everyone wakes up and you come home after everyone's sleeping. You know, there were, I mean, every week I didn't see my wife from Sunday night after the game. I'd, that's, I'd see her then and then I wouldn't see her awake until Friday afternoon. And it's that kind of life. And I think a lot of players, when they get into it, they say, my God, why are we doing this? You know, and you know, we didn't have to do this when we were playing, but, you know, you're so compelled and so driven to, for a lot of different motivational reasons, fear of failure and and want to be successful and all the rest of it to, you know, purge yourself into to living a life that's a hard life. So I would, that would be the first advice I'd tell them. Yeah, and I, and I see that too, you know, and, and it depends depends in the baseball world depends on on the personality type you know i have a brother that's managing the new york yankees right now and he's one of those guys he sleeps everything he does is he's thinking about okay how can i put my players into the best position tonight on a daily basis to win my dad was like that our personalities are a little bit different i kind of have a little bit more of a laid-back approach take it just as serious um but I would have a little different of approach. I, I dabbled in it a little bit in, in 2015. I, I went to work for the Oakland, Oakland A's and I did it. 
uh, as a special assistant, a part-time. I wasn't in the trenches full-time, but I'd go to instructional ball. And, and I worked a lot with the young minor league guys in low A ball and double A. I actually really enjoyed it. I loved uh, you know, it brought me back to when I was when I was chasing my dreams and I was in the low levels of the minor leagues and and watching these guys grow and watch them get to the next level and pick. The, it was really a fulfilling for me at the time, though. I had young kids. They were in they were in high school and, and I didn't want to miss their season. So so it just came became a time restraint to me. But I really enjoyed it. But I know what you're talking about as far as the dedication and and the time that it takes away. You said you wouldn't see your wife for, for days at a time. Uh, I can see that. What do you think? Uh, do you think, do you think that, have you found that the great players in the NFL, the hall of fame type, the, the perennial pro bowlers, they can have a tough time coaching. Oh, I don't know. I, I think it, again, it goes back to, are you motivated to, why are you motivated to coach? I, I can't speak for what it's like to go from being a player in the NFL. Certainly I wasn't. And to, you know, then to go into coaching. But I do know this. I, I knew when I was very young, when I was 12 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to. I'd rather be outside and on a field of grass doing something, you know, playing with kids, coaching kids. That's what motivated me the most. And then when I got into organized football and Pop Warner and high school, I knew for sure what that's what I wanted to do. I thought forever I'd be a high school football coach and a history teacher, and that's where I set my sights, and I did those things. In college, I was a double major and got a teaching credential. I was all ready, but they weren't hiring Californians, so I just ended up coaching in college for 12 years, and then I can't explain why, but I ended up getting in the NFL and where I never thought I would be and coached there for 36 years. Your alma mater was uh, California Western University. I think you were an old lineman there as a player. Plus. Yeah, you were a player before this this co this coaching career took off for you. It's amazing, Dante. I was, you know, I'm going over this, and I know we've never met in person, and and uh, I like doing these, getting out of my comfort zone, out of the baseball world, getting into football. And then I started looking at, at your career, and I'm thinking, wow. Started in 1970, made your debut in the NFL in '82. And you didn't you, you didn't retire officially until 2019. That is a lot of time. I'm looking at the Super Bowls. I'm going. I've had a lot of great players on this show. I've had a lot of, you know, in all uh, in all sports. But I don't think I've ever seen had somebody that's been to 11 World Series or 11 Super Bowls. So I was excited to get into it as a young coach. When you left and, and got into coaching, 1970, is there any advice that you wish you would have gotten early on? or or not i the advice i give to all young coaches is come in early and go home late and don't leave any stones unturned and above all you don't know nothing listen be a great listener and that will serve you well but you know there are a lot of young coaches are motivated to show you how much they know when in the reality of it is they can learn a lot more by listening than they can by talking and and that's the most to me, those are the two most important things. Roll up your sleeves, go to work. You can't outwork the other guy. You absolutely can outwork the other guys. You can prepare harder than they can. And for guys like me, that you know, I look at I, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not the brightest, sharpest knife in the drawer now. 
And so I have to work hard and I had to prepare hard and had to drive myself to, you know, a certain way that, that would allow me to have a chance, a small chance to be successful. And that's what I had to do. Maybe it was fear of failure or whatever it was, but I just, I, I just felt like those are the things I had to do. And that was, and those are the things I've always told young coaches, shut up and listen and get in early, go home late. And I think you'd be a lot better off. I think I think that's good advice in, in a lot of facets of life. Shut up and listen until you learn, until until you get, you know, you cut your teeth. Uh, how is it decided what your specialty is going to be? For the most part of your career, you were you were the O line coach, but you did a lot of other stuff too. You were special teams. Uh, how is that decided? And do you? Because you were an old lineman in college, does that mean automatically you're an offensive lineman coach in the NFL? Or how is that decided? Well, I think it's number one, it's where you're most comfortable. Okay. Certainly I played offensive line and for four years in college and played it for three years in, in high school and, and also in Pop Warner. So, you know, that's where I was most comfortable. But I would tell you this at the end of the of the run. You are what you are, and you get to where you are as a result of everything that's happened to you in the past, okay? So even though my interests were in the offensive line, when I when we came up to New England and uh, Ron Meyer, who brought me here, said, you're going to be the special teams and tight ends coach. Well, I had never coached those two positions. And honestly, Brett, it made me a much better coach for the seven years I did that than I was before I started doing it because I saw the game in, in a whole new different way relative to special teams and how that impacted the game as well as I was able to, you know, uh, when I, when I was with Parcells for four years, when he came into new England, he put me on defense and all I did was break down tape. And I've been in the league for a number of years and, and, and I, but I was willing to stay and I wanted to be and coach with Parcells. And so I went to work on defense and I did all the breakdowns for the defensive staff. And that made me a much better coach than I had been before. Just coaching, seeing the game from one venue. And that was offensive line. I knew after four years of seeing how teams were attacking defenses and how defenses had to defend certain offenses and stuff, I got a better picture of things. So it made me a better coach in so many ways, and I'm grateful for those years. Some people would look at them and say, well, yeah, but you weren't doing what you wanted to. Yeah, but I learned a lot. And, again, it goes back to what we first talked about, and that's, you know, listening, you know, and watching and observing. And you can learn a hell of a lot about a lot of things if you, if you take that approach. I want to talk about the offensive line and that and the genre and that they're different. It's a different breed. We've had a few guys on the show. Uh, Anthony Munoz has come on Walter Jones, Joe Staley, some of the great, the greats of the NFL. And I found it really interesting talking to them versus talking to a quarterback or a wide receiver or a, or a tailback. It's, they said, we're kind of, we live in a different world. It seems like in their world, it's like they only get recognized if there's a mistake, if there's a blown uh, block, if there's, you know, a sack, how are they judged? How are offensive linemen judged? How are the great ones picked? Because there's really no statistics. We didn't know how many yards they ran for, they passed for, uh, how many how many tackles they made. Yeah, well, I, and 
relative to those three guys that you talked about, it wouldn't mm-hmm. take anyone a real long period of time to watch those three guys play and say, those guys are really good players. You know, they knock people off the ball. No one gets around them. No one rushes through them. You know, they're just they're just guys you say, now, fellas, that's how you want to play. Now, where and when all three of those guys, hardly anyone can play as good as those three guys, especially the first two. You know, Munoz and Jones, those guys were so rare and so great in so many different ways. And Joe, you know, you're going to go back and look at him and say and appreciate him for the things that he was too. But I'm just saying is that you look at them and you look at their style of play and the effort that they give on every play and the way that they're able to, you know, power people uh, as well as finesse people and do the things that they've been coached to do. And all of them had great coaches, I'm sure of it, but they also had great, great people that they, the coaches did, had great people that they could work with and get them to the best, being the best player that they could be. And believe me, those guys play the highest level imaginable relative to players in the history of the league. I think football is different. And talking to football players versus baseball players, baseball players, especially when you get to the major leagues, it's kind of a hands-off approach from the coaching staff. Football seems to be different. You know, not I'm not saying everybody's like this, but it seems to, seems to be a sport where even in the NFL, it's grab you by the face mask and there's discipline involved. You don't see that in major league baseball. I'm interested in your relationships and a, and a good buddy of mine, uh, I was talking to b- before we sat down today, uh, Drew Bledsoe, and uh, he got a kick out of hearing that you were coming on the show. And he said, uh, when it comes to relationships, he said, ask Dante about his relationship with Matt Light. <laughs> um, pretty much a love-hate relationship. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't love it. There were times I really liked the guy. There were times where I could kill him. But I would tell you this. You were going to get the best that guy had every day at practice. It was a pleasure to coach in a lot of ways. He he was a bit, you know, it, let me just tell you this. The first time I met Light, uh, Matt Light was when we drafted him and he came to our facility uh, the night the night we drafted him. So he he was a second round draft choice. We brought him in. We were happy to have him. And I went and, and took him into a meeting room and, you know, I was going to start talk, telling him about our system and the things we do. And, he, and the first thing he tells me, this is amazing. He says, coach, you know, I got narcolepsy. I said, okay, so what the hell is narcolepsy? And you may know, but I sure didn't. He said, well, coach, he says, I, I could fall asleep at any time. You know, I, I could fall asleep in a classroom. Coach, I could even fall asleep in a car while I'm driving. I said, well, Matt, are you telling me that maybe you could fall asleep in my meetings? And he says, Coach, I'm just telling you, I got narcolepsy. And I said, well, Matt, I think you'd be a lot better off if you fell asleep in a car than if you did in my meeting. And that's Matt Light. He's always, I mean, this guy's got more BS than anybody alive. And also, I would tell you this, I changed the way I ran meetings because I made Matt sit right in front of me. And I swear to God, Brett, he had an innate ability to sleep sitting straight up without moving his head. I know he did. 
because you could just see him. It was still, he was like a statue. So I, I changed my meeting rooms and, and I put myself in front so I could see their eyes and stuff. And I had a, a video telestrator that I was able to see both. But, you know, that's Matt Light. He's, he, you know, you were getting the best he had every Sunday, but he wanted to have a lot more fun than I wanted to have in meetings and things like that. And he used to say all the time, why don't you tell a joke or something? And I ain't a comedian. Okay. That's it. That's not what I that's, do. That's not what I do. I coach football. Shut up. Let's go. You know, and I would go back. One other thing to, as far as all the other guys, when you talk about offensive line, Walk into any training room in, in the NFL or college, and you'll see them all sitting at the same tables. They're, they got that herd mentality, man. They, they really do. They, they gravitate to themselves. They're more, more comfortable with themselves. They're going to talk about a lot of things that maybe guys at other tables aren't going to talk about, and that's just the way it is. And that's why I like being around them and really enjoyed my time with them. Yeah, it seems in just my interactions with offensive, they just seem to be a different breed. The yeah. NFL, it's like us against the world, and it's just their little click. Uh, but, but man, I've had Walter Jones I, I, when I when I had him on the show, he was telling me about how he used to train in the off season, and he goes, "Booney, what I would do is, you know, and this is back, this is back a few years." He said, "I would get a suburban." And I would push it around the parking lot and and I'm going, are you kidding me? He goes, no, that's, that's what I do. He said, that was my best way of training and kind of caught on, you know, and then all of a sudden the media got a hold of it and became a fun thing. He goes, but I really used to train like that. Just stories like that. Anthony Munoz, my, my years that I, uh, played for the Cincinnati Reds. He was coming in the locker room all the time. He was a, he was fan. So I got to spend a little time with Anthony Munoz as a young player and, uh, yeah, they're just different. Great and and seems like humble humble as they get. Uh, at the same time, you want them with you in the foxhole. But uh, well, yeah, in, interesting relationship. Let me just say one thing. You know, you were talking about uh, uh, Walter Jones and pushing the suburban, and I've always related a, a lineman's ability to run. I, and I always would say use this analogy, fellas. Just pretend like you were back when I was alive and cars were made of steel and that car ran out of gas and you had to push that car. How would you push it? Well, of course, you know, you get behind it and put your hands on the, on the hood or maybe on the bumper and drop your butt down and bend your knees and push it with your arms and push up, you know, hope, you know, support yourself with your hands on the bumper and move it with your lower body. And I would always tell them, fellas, that's how you block, you know, you control them with your upper body and you move them with your lower body. And so I'm glad to hear you say that about Walter, because that's how we have, you know, and used as an analogy, your cars run out of gas and you got to move it. And this is how you move it. Just the same as blocking. Yeah. When I called Drew last night and and, and you know, Drew well, uh, better, probably better than I do. But I talked to him and I said, I I wanted to talk about Dante. and, And the first thing he said, I said, hey. Drew, I hadn't talked to him in a bit. And I said, what are you, what are you up to? Ah, I'm having a couple glasses of wine. And, and Drew can be very, you know, he's got that wry sense of humor. And I said, what comes to mind when I mentioned Dante Scarnecchia? And he said, and, and I never know if he's being serious or not. And he said, Brett, he's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL. And I said, now that's how you feel. And he said, that's how I feel. And then he said, 
you can use that because I truly believe that in my bones. He said, but also he said, ask him about the, uh, the Matt light. He goes, he'll, <laughs> that'll brighten his day <laughs> on that. On that note, uh, you got a Drew Bledsoe story for me. Oh, I, you know, Drew, Drew had the, 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 un, uh, you know, the hard cross the Baron first guy taken in the draft, you know, and, and coming in with huge expectations, huge expectations. And he did nothing in his career to ever, you know, taint that. I mean, the guy was immensely talented, a pleasure to be around, never complained about anything. And um, I always, I always appreciated my time. And, you know, when, when things developed, you know, where we moved him and he, we traded him to a, you know, a division opponent, Buffalo and, we went over there and they kicked the living hell out of us. It was 31 to, 31 to nothing or something like that. And uh, I said, oh, God, this is going to be hard. And the last game of the season, we beat them 31 to nothing. So, But I just always thought, you know, this guy's is, is, he's a gentleman. He's respectful of the game. His parents are unbelievable people. I saw him after the game when we played him in Buffalo that first time, and I just said, you know, you played a hell of a game. I'm happy for you. I know this is a difficult day and all the rest of it, but you know, that's just, this is the business and we, we both share it, but great guy and, you know, Patriot hall of famer and he deserves all, all that he's gotten in his life. One more guy I wanted to talk with Steven Neal. Yeah. I want to talk about him. No college football. He was a wrestler ends up being a super bowl champion. I, I was just interested when I saw that pop up because I know he was under your your tutelage. Yeah, he was. Uh, th- this was a great story. You know, we we run a staff meeting. We were just starting training camp, and Bill walks in. And he said, "Hey, look, it. We got this guy. He's coming in this afternoon. We're gonna, you know, he's a NCAA two-time NCAA wrestling champion, world champion wrestler. He just lost three to two. He's not going to be able to get into the Olympics and he's trying out for football and his agents got him a tryout. Well, his agent was, is Neil Cornrich, who's a great guy. Coincidentally, Brett, Neil Cornrich is Belichick's agent. So there was a little bit of a tie there and yeah. a little bit in. So he says, well, go out there and watch this guy. And, me, and the whole staff went out there and watched him. And it was like, oh my God, look at this guy. He's six, five, Weighs about 270, 280, uh, athletic as you could. You can't even imagine how athletic this guy was. And I'm standing out there and I'm saying, this ain't doing me any good because he he's not going on offense. I can tell you right now, he's too skilled, too athletic to be an offensive player. They're going to use him on us. So they did. And we signed him immediately. I mean, he ran fast, jumped high, did all the agility drills. He was special. So after about four days of playing defense, maybe, or yeah, five days. So uh, in that time, we couldn't wait for him to get on the field offensively because we could trap him. We could run a draw and he'd be so far up the field with sickening. We'd run right by him. And, you know, he just, it was a struggle for him, you know? So we got in a staff meeting and Bill said, and I'd gotten to know the guy over that time because we were both, you know, I played in San, uh, went to college in San Diego. He was from San Diego. And I just, I really liked the kid. I just kind of gravitated towards him. And I said, uh, so Bill said, this isn't working. We're going to get rid of him. And I said, Bill, just let me have him. You know, let us have him on offense. 
And, you know, he's a smart kid. I could tell he was smart. I knew he was tough. And athletically, he was off the charts. And honestly, I value those three things. Smart, tough enough, and athletic enough. You know, you got the guy you want, okay? So, uh, and it was a process. But one thing that was not a process for him, Brett, was this. When we used him and when we would have one-on-one pass protection, think about this. He was a wrestler his entire athletic life. When those defensive linemen would grab him and try to pull his shoulder, he that became Steve's world. Because people had tried to do that to him wrestling all his life. And he wouldn't have none of it. He, they couldn't grab him. They couldn't pull him. They couldn't push him back. He, he just naturally, he was the most natural pass blocker you could ever see. And it took, you know, a couple of one-on-one pass protection ses- sessions, which you have every day in training camp. And you look and you look at him and the first thing that everyone said is, well, we ain't letting that guy out of here. He can do this better than anybody. And it was, that was the case. And so it was a process with him a couple of years, but we were willing to take that process and the result was the guy had a nine-year career, and he started for us in the Super Bowl, and and a great guy, and a pleasure to be around. And you couldn't. This was a guy that, because of his toughness and and background as a wrestler, you couldn't kill this guy. You could run as many of those whatever you wanted to run, and he was going to finish him ahead of everybody because he was just so damn tough. It was amazing. Very cool. All right. I want to do a little bit of a rapid fire with you. You played under or you coached under a lot of head coaches. Your first one you mentioned earlier was Ron Meyer. Uh, Just a couple words about each one. We're going to start off Ron Meyer. I think a really good evaluator of talent. And um, if he were alive today, which he's not, God rest his soul, died on a golf course the way we probably wanted to go out. He would be the first guy to tell you all this NIL stuff, name, image, and likeness. Yes, yes. He invented it. Because when we were at SMU, we were way ahead of our time. He was he was taking care of them at that time. That's all I'll say. Bill, Bill Parcells. Oh, man. Pleasure to be around. Tough as they come. Um, every He, he wore his emotions on it. Even. There was no – there was no – uh, gray areas with him. He told you what he wanted. And he told you how he wanted you to do it. And if you did it that way, he wouldn't say anything. If you didn't, and all hell broke loose. I, I learned a lot under, you know, I learned a lot from every head coach I've ever been around, but Parcell's a special guy. And now at uh, my alma mater, he was a Trojan head coach. Now Seahawk, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's an innovative guy. He's a great, great, great football coach. Complete opposite of Bill, always upbeat, always positive, um, bright guy, wants to know the reasons why and why nots and all the rest of it. And, you know, he's a really, really good leader in, in his own way. And it's, it's different than a lot of other guys. But, you know, Pete's a good coach and deserving of everything he's ever gotten in this game, which is a lot. I mentioned it already. Uh, you went to 11 Super Bowls. Your first one was in 1980. 19- 10. 10. I'm sorry. I forgot. The caveat was that you were were taking some time off. 10. Your first one was 1985. Uh, That that infamous Bears team Super Bowl shuffle. Um, What did you learn from that first Super Bowl? Ended up being a loss. 
Yep. Uh, I think I think this that, that was an immensely talented football team who played the best game that they played in that game. They really played really really well, and and they were immensely talented. They were much more talented than we are. But I well you know and, and you know we I've been to ten Super Bowls like you said and been part of five losing games, and you can learn something from every from every loss as you can from every win. The wins kind of you gloss over them, but those those losses, man, they stay with you a long time. But that game just says, hey, look, we got to make sure we, we're good at all positions and and we don't have many weaknesses. We, we'll, we never had a team as good as the Bears Super Bowl team. That was a, I mean, that was a rare team. And, but we've had a lot of good teams around here and that were well stocked with good players and, that we're really, really, I hope people would look at and say, you know, that's a well-coached football team. So that's what I took away from that one. We'll talk about the Patriots way. Bill Belichick, obviously, uh, been the head coach there a long time. A lot, a lot of success. Um, I had Johnny Smoltz on uh, the podcast the other day. He was a teammate of mine with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I, I only played in Atlanta one year. But I played against them a lot in the 90s when they were just they were dominant. And uh, I got traded in the 98 season after the 98 season to the Atlanta Braves. And I remember going into camp that year. And and in Cincinnati at that time in my career, I'd been on some great uh, mid 90s teams. Um, but I went to camp with the Atlanta Braves and it was different. The culture was different. I walked in. I was you know how the head coach or the, well head coach in football the skipper in baseball he'll address the team early in spring training there was uh myself and, and a couple new guys that that he was really focusing his his speech on and he basically said you guys come from a lot of different places but he, we here in Atlanta what I'm going to do Booney is we're going to roll out a lineup every day and we're going to steamroll our opponents it was a different feeling it was very workmanship like in Atlanta come to the ballpark, you win a game, you go home. There was no fluff, but it was a culture. It's like we here in Atlanta, we win, and we win every year. Different than any other team I'd ever been on, but but it opened my eyes, it, and then I realized why had they had so much success in the 90s. Um, a lot of people go into camp every year, uh, baseball, football, wherever it may be, thinking, hey, we're going to win. Um Few succeed. Talk to me a little bit about the Patriot way. You know, that phrase Patriot way, I've, I've never really embraced that. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been in a staff meeting with the head coach in all the years that, that Bill and uh, that I was fortunate enough to work for Bill. I've never heard him use that phrase ever. But I do think that there is a culture that exists there to your point, very similar to what existed in, Al in Atlanta. And um, and that culture is driven by that we we have rules and we have a way of doing things that we're very, very uh, that are very, very important to us. And when you walk in the building, you see, you know, four or five things that Bill wants everybody to understand, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm, I'm not going to say any of them because, you know, they're, they're team things. And when you walk out the door, it's the same thing, you know essentially don't speak for other people, you know, just 
just mind your own business and don't worry about all the rest of the noise outside. But I think this, you know, it, um, there's a clear set vision. Um, you're, you're to be on time for all meetings. A guy walks into a meeting. I'm going to tell you now, if he's have, if we have a, a team meeting and a guy walks in late, he sends him home. He sends him home. Go get out of here. You're out of here for the day. And no one wants to be that guy. Okay. No one wants to be that guy. And, um, you know, there's a way to do things in practice. If you jump off sides, you take a lap. No one's, you know, without even a whole lot of noise, just go. And you take a lap all the way around the goalpost and you come back and we're not waiting for you. If Tom Brady backs out of there early before a snap, he's gone. And the next guy, the backup quarterback, he's taking snaps while Tom's taking his lap around the practice field. That's just how it is. And the reason is for all those things is that, you know, false starting or being offsides on defense, it's not all right. We, you never, you would never hear a coach say to a player, oh, that's all right, let's go to the next play. We would never, that never happened. So guys were sent on laps. And if we had 12 guys on the field, the whole defense would run. If it was, they had 12 guys on the field. If we had 12 guys on the whole, the whole offense would run. And we'd wait for them, every, all of them to get back. And that doesn't mean we were taking less time for practice. Practice just got moved back a little bit. So that's the culture that existed. And it was reinforced by a very, very strong group of players that had been in that program. And for us, the genesis of that approach was Parcells. You know, that's how he did things. And then, you know, then we went through Pete. And then when Bill came in, there was a lot of the same things. And the players that had been with, with Parcells and then with Bill Belichick, they, kind, they really liked that. And look, at, you may have been experienced to this or not, but I know this. On any team, there's 5%, 5%, and 90% in between. 5% at the top, you don't have to tell those guys anything. They're on board, man. They're run through walls. And they're on board, okay? 5% at the bottom, I'm going to say, wait a minute. You want me to run through that wall? You're crazy, okay? Now, it doesn't mean they're bad players, but they're not quite on board, okay? And then there's 90% on the, in the middle, all right? So who do those 90% gravitate to the most? If the 5% at the bottom got the voice in the locker room, what's the team look like kind of do bitch and complain, do it the way they, the 5% yeah. of the bottom say, or if the, at the 5% at the top, they got the voice. Um, then all of a sudden those guys at the bottom, they, they don't, they don't have any choice. They may complain, but someone's saying, hey, shut the hell up and let's go, you know, but that it was always, it was always reinforced by the, the really strong leadership that was in the locker room that came from the head coach, the staff, and 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 just made it. If you want to use that phrase, Patriot way, that's what the media calls it around here. Then maybe that was it. But I just know this: you know, we had a very very strong locker room for a long period of time, and you can name the guys that that were part of it. You know, Brady, McGinnis, Lawyer Malloy. You know, I'm mean, just name Brewski, all of them, Grable. And it was just those were the strongest guys in our, our locker rooms. And, and they had the voice and it just made our team consistently good over a long period of time. 
mentioned Brady, Tom Brady. Uh, what made him different? What set him apart from everybody else? Uh, I, when you say everybody else, other quarterbacks, because he didn't, he was no different than everyone else in the team relative to cultural things we talked about. But Tom was a great, great worker. He, he, unbelievable, prepared for everything, every situation. I watch him now or, you know, over the last few years at Tampa and I, you know, as a retired ex-football coach and I sit there and I, I look at, you know, he comes up to the line of scrimmage and I say, he knows what the coverage is right now. He knows where he's going with the football right now. And bang, you know, take a drop, bang, balls out. You know, he's, he's throwing it to guys wide ass open and that's just how it is. And, you know, just always knew those things. His, his preparation prior to the Super Bowls, especially Super Bowl week was off the charts. I mean, it was, he was in lockdown mode for him. And, uh, you know, when, when, when the work was done for the day for the players and they have great evenings with their family or friends or whatever it is. Okay. They were out and I wasn't Tom. That's not what he did. He, he was laser focused and you always knew it. And, um, he would never cease to amaze you by how tough the guy was. You know, we were getting ready for a playoff game, uh, the year, I think we played the Rams in the Super Bowl and running back ran into him and tore the webbing on one of his fingers, you know, the, between the hand. And I, and I looked and you could see, I you know, he grabbed it and I looked and you could see the tendons and everything. I said, Oh God, he's done. This is his throwing hand. And he played and he played great. And that's just Tom. Bill Belichick, same thing. What made him different? Oh, driven, man. He's just, you know, driven, uh, thinking about it all the time. Driven to make the team better, whether it's personnel, it's coaching, whatever it is. And and I and I really feel this way about him too. Very fair in a lot of respects, you know. When he comes to you and you know he'll say, "Hey Dante, what do you think about blocking this play this way?" And I, when a head coach comes to an assistant and with the suggestion, you know, you have two, you have really two choices, and the two choices are to give him a fair and fair answer. And the first thing is, you know, if you say, you know, Bill, we tried that before and here's what happened when we tried it, doing it that way. And here's the reason why we're not doing it that way. He would say, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, that's all right. I get it. But if you didn't have that reason, OK, so that's the only that's the only acceptable answer. You got it. We'll do it. Let's go. And uh, and I think he and, and to, to, you know, as far as that question, he's always thinking about things that will help improve and make the team better. And. Uh, he's a pleasure to be around. He's not the same guy uh, that you see in the media and talking to the media that he is amongst the coaches. Now, don't get me wrong. This ain't, you know, uh, he ain't Shecky Green up there, a comedian or something. <laughs> he's not that. But uh, there's a definite side to him that a lot of people don't see that you do see. And uh, he's a pleasure to work for. Because there's no gray areas, man. You know, he, he wants it done a certain way. And I appreciate that personally, me, because, you know, that makes it easy for me. You know where you stand. Absolutely. With your head, you know, the head guy. It's a, I, I always appreciated uh, managers that were like that. 
Sure. It's like I, I can walk into his office and I got a question. I'm going to get an answer and it's not going to be, it's not going to be a bullshit answer. It's going to be, mm-hmm. you might not always like the answer, but you walk out of there. No, no, what the situation is for real. Sure. Uh, the 10 Super Bowls. You know, I, it still boggles my mind to go to that many. I got to go to a World Series. I lost. Man, it was a bad feeling when we came out of there. Any Super Bowl stand out for you? Any win sweeter than any other win? Any loss? Any tougher? Was there a Super Bowl that was a particular tough loss or, or a particular sweet win? I guess that's the, the question. Uh, I think that uh, obviously the the – elephant in the room, you know, this uh, the giant Super Bowl where we were 18 and 0 going into it. Um, and I think the one takeaway from, for me personally in that game was that we didn't play our best football in that game at all. They played great to their credit. They played great. And, um, and I learned uh, my biggest takeaway from that one was, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta play our best football we got to prepare and be the best we can possibly be going forward. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's the, the, the greatest takeaway. It was painful, man. You know, and I will tell you this, the, the five that we lost, I never came off the field. You know, there was never an ounce of satisfaction in, in it. You know, when you lose that game and confetti's the other team's colors and raining down on you, all you want to do is get the hell out of there and, but it, but you can you can you know you can uh, revel in the misery of it all and not revel but be pained about the misery of it all and or you can get past it and use it as a you know as a something that'll a motivation that'll make you coach harder make you coach better make you do things better to win if you ever get a chance to do it I you know I to get to the first Super Bowl was like oh my gosh this is unbelievable and then you know to have the the fortune to to get the ten of them, I I can't explain that other than it was really really a fortunate situation. Now I'm grateful for it, Brett. Um, Hall of Fame, Patriots Hall of Fame. It's coming up. You looking forward to it? You got your speech ready? Uh, it's not going to be for a while, but what um, when it does, you know, I will uh, I will uh, thank everyone that uh, helped um, me take this path and, and get to this point, you know, and, um, and that's, that's a lot of people, a lot of great players, a lot of players that didn't have great ability, but gave you everything they had. Unbelievable family, unbelievable wife that, you know, be 49 years this June and, you know, to be in this business as long as she has and to persevere as, really, really special. So, you know, it's all that. And my parents, especially who are no longer with us, but, you know, to, you know, the sacrifices they made and to help me along the way. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what this is all about is to thank those that got you to this point. And I, and I am truly thankful to all of them. And I, I think for you, for being a coach for so long, uh, I don't know. I, I think it would be really cool. To, to, when you go back in that time made and you're officially inducted and to see those guys that you taught and, and were, and you work so many long hours with, I know when I look to certain uh, coaches, managers in my life that, that have made a difference at, and 
touched me in a different way, it, you know, uh, made an impact on my life. When I see them, uh, I don't know. It's different. It's just a, it's a, it's a special thing. And I think a lot of those guys that you were a part of their lives for so many years, you were there for so long, uh, them watching you receive that honor, I, I think is, uh, is going to be a really cool thing. I'm, I'm thinking about it now from the player side and watching you, uh, getting your, getting your just due. I, I, I think it's really cool and I'm really happy for you. And, and, uh, I think it's going to be a great event. I want to thank you for coming on the boom podcast. This was really cool. Uh, get to talk about stuff that I don't get to talk about every day. And I appreciate you, you coming on Dante, uh, all the best to you. Congratulations on 49, 49 years. That's no joke. You know, my, my parents, my parents just passed their, their 50 and I'm looking at them, you know, it's just mom and dad, but I'm thinking, wow, 50, 50 years. <laughs> That's a lot of years, baby. It is. Where did your parents grow up? San Diego. There you go. They went to uh, Crawford high. Okay. Crawford yeah. High, they've met and they've been together driving each other crazy ever since. Yeah, we all grew up in L.A. and East L.A. And, Taft know, College, right? Taft, Taft College. Up that was your original, yeah. original. Taft College yeah. to, the, to the Patriot Hall of Fame. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Dante, for taking the time. And uh, for all you out there listening to the Boone Podcast, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.